Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hi there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm your host and I am a transformation specialist working with retailers and brands as a consultant and advisor to help drive transformation forwards. I've worked on a whole number of different transformation initiatives from creating new business propositions, unlocking new revenue streams and defining and optimizing operating models. By working together, we drive transformation forwards. Thanks so much for tuning in today. This one is episode 257, number 257. Now, over the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about new business models and the opportunities these provide. They're a disruptive move which open up new revenue streams and unlock some high margin opportunities to help drive the bottom line. Amazon have been hugely disruptive in the retail sector as a whole, of course. They've expanded over many years into basically every category they could. And during this time, they've also created and grown their own brands, whether that's around products like batteries or electrical cables through to consumables like vitamins or even snacks. And let's not forget their prolific range of different consumer electronics devices as well. But aside from this growth in the classic retail market, Amazon have also spearheaded a ton of growth and profit from new business models and new industries as we're going to touch on today. So in this episode, we're going to unpick how Amazon work and in particular, some of the unique ways of working that have allowed them to expand in this way and develop all of these different business models into what's quite a complex organization now. We're going to be exploring some of their processes, their culture, and even their investment strategy to see how these have helped pave the way to create the Amazon that we know today. The show notes for today's episode are at obandco dot uk slash two five seven that's ob and co dot uk slash two five seven if you are keen to be inspired by other retailers who are exploring and experimenting with different business models then you should subscribe to the retail transformation briefing this is my free weekly email newsletter where i take a look at the key headlines from around the world of retail And in particular, draw inspiration from companies that are innovating and pushing the boundaries, all with the aim of inspiring you and giving you some insight to help drive successful transformation in your organization. So do subscribe to the Retail Transformation Briefing at obandco.uk slash 257. So as I hinted at just a few minutes ago, The Amazon of today is really quite a complex beast. So many different facets and lots of different business models as well. That is a different commercial model, a different way of adding value. 
And so let's just start by taking a quick look of the overview of their different business units and business models. Of course, the classic retail model we're familiar with. And equally, the marketplace model, I think, has gained more popularity over recent times as well. Of course, it's grown to be a much bigger part of Amazon's retail sector. And it's also enabled other businesses like they're fulfilled by Amazon or FBA services. And that in turn has expanded into other supply chain businesses, including Prime Air for air shipments and their newly released supply chain by Amazon service, which allows a smaller retailer or brand to essentially delegate their entire supply chain from planning and dealing with factory shipments through to duties and excise, as well as, of course, logistics in country and the last mile as well. So from their classic retail sector, Amazon have also, of course, grown into their prime subscription. One of the biggest innovations that I think Amazon have delivered to the retail sector, and one that many companies are still striving after today. The concept of Prime is really quite brilliant when you think about it. Customers pay money to be able to make more orders from you in exchange for free and fast delivery. But Amazon have cemented themselves to be certainly the first port of call for many individuals' product searches. Where do you go first? It's not the Google search bar, it's the Amazon search bar. And that has been largely driven by the success of Prime, which has, of course, been developed over time to include new propositions around video, music, groceries, and lots more. They've also innovated with digital devices. I mentioned that they've got a number of different brands, which is a huge innovation in and by itself. But products like the Kindle e-readers, and to a lesser extent, their different Fire devices, and of course, all of their Alexa smart home devices, has meant that Amazon has taken quite a significant chunk of that consumer electronics market. And when you're in those ecosystems, you tend to stay within the Amazon ecosystem as well. You know, if you've got a Kindle e-reader, where are you getting your e-books from? <laughs> you know where I mean. And just staying with that book heritage, shall we say, that's of course where Amazon first started when Jeff Bezos cleverly recognised the opportunity of books to help drive and expand the e-commerce market. They've then, of course, grown into e-books, as I just say, but increasingly into audiobooks as well through Audible. And that's an acquisition which we'll come back to a little later on. Smart Home, again, we've already mentioned Alexa and their various devices around Echoes to allow your home to become a smart home. And this is a trend which looks to continue as they've acquired the maker of Roomba vacuum cleaners. Again, we'll come back to that later on. AWS has been one of Amazon's big star performers over the recent years. Famed for its hugely high margin, certainly relative to a classic retailer anyway, it's been responsible for driving quite a chunk of Amazon's overall profits and overall success. Newer business models that they are looking at right now around Amazon Studios. Supported by their acquisition of MGM, Amazon are now creating really good quality content, both TV shows and movies. Of course, creating great exclusive content for their Prime members and Prime video users. Amazon Pay is a way of Amazon controlling that payment mechanic. And again, helping make Amazon a little bit stickier for every single consumer. 
Healthcare has been a sector that Amazon have been trying to break into for a little while now. And their Amazon Care overarching sort of brand offers everything from digital consultations through to pharmaceutical supplies. And again, a bit like AWS, big margins in this sector. So I expect we'll continue to see Amazon pushing forward. And then one of their most recent expansions is into tech licensing as well. Amazon wowed the world when they first launched their Go store with the space age technology of just being able to pick up a product and walk out. Since that very early announcement and trial, that's of course expanded into lots of different stores, both Amazon branded and importantly, third party stores who are licensing their just walk out technology. And they've also done exactly the same model with their one payment system. That is the pay by palm. So you can wave your hand and it will work out who you are and bill you accordingly. (laughs) So loads of different factors there. I mean, just reviewing back, we've got classical retail, we've got subscriptions, we've got business to business transactions, both as one off services, as well as long term services. We've got content creation. We've got supply chain solutions. We've got technology solutions. So many different factors and so many different elements of that complex business that Amazon has grown into today. So what is it about Amazon? How have they operated to be able to expand like this into so many different sectors? Let's explore around four different aspects. Firstly, their ways of working, their people and culture, their acquisition strategy, and then finally, just touching on expectations as well. So let's dive in with their ways of working. What is it that Amazon do around a process to help encourage innovation? Firstly, let's talk about their working backwards approach. This is one of Amazon's most iconic ways of working, I would suggest. And you may know it more commonly as the press release or the hypothetical sort of future thinking press release. The concept is that when you have a new idea or you've found a new way of solving a problem, You write a press release as if that solution has just launched out to the world. So it really encourages people to think about the benefits of that particular solution from a customer's point of view. And it also then encourages people to work backwards. So you have the end in mind and you work backwards to understand the key aspects that feed into that. And this working backwards approach is a great way to encourage people to be more expansive in their thinking. But most importantly, it encourages people to think about the benefits from the customer's point of view, as I say. Amazon are famed for being obsessed by customers, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But this is a great example and a very easy tactical move that you could make. You could start today, right? Fast forward, what is the future press release of whatever it is that you're working on right now? The next element that I wanted to explore around ways of working is, again, another iconic Amazon way of working, and that is the concept of a two pizza team. And this is about limiting the size of meetings and teams to help focus on a smaller, more cohesive, more collaborative group. The overarching concept is that any given team should be able to be fed by two pizzas. Now, of course, You may instantly think, well, depends what size pizza they are, right? And how hungry the people in the team are, right? 
But the, the bottom line here is that really what it's trying to say is it should be about six to 10 people. And that's a 14 inch pizza, if you're wondering. And these teams are then responsible for a particular, clearly defined segment. And it encourages communication. It encourages more agility, rapid decision making, and ultimately ownership. I also think that it's important that the expectation of having a two pizza team is put to the test occasionally. It's important to set the expectation that actually you do occasionally get the pizzas. And this is important for a couple of ways. Firstly, Sometimes it all hits the fan, right? And you've just got to pull out all the stops. And if that means getting some pizzas to make sure that you deliver the results, then that's important. And I think going into that mentality with that expectation of actually, do you know what? If we need to get this done, we will get this done no matter what. And secondly, it's important to enjoy each other's company. And a pizza is a great opportunity for doing that as well, right? So it could be used for team building as well as getting things done. The third element around Amazon ways of working that I wanted to touch on was their approach for experimentation and arguably more importantly, their approach to failure as well. Now, Amazon have got a tendency to experiment when they can't find a solution on the market. They have an internal need to develop their business or offer a new proposition. And if that is not instantly available, then that is when the Amazon creativity gets to work. But let's just take a moment and think about those Amazon experiments that have not worked out. We've already discussed some of the great parts of their business as it is today, but there have been so many failures. And I say that not as a slur, but actually as a badge of honor, as I believe Amazon would believe it is as well. So in no particular order, they've tried and failed with their Scout robot a small robot that trundles around pavements for the last mile delivery to a consumer's house, similar to Starship Technologies' solution. They've developed Scout, they had it out in trials, and then they've pulled that back. The dash buttons, do you remember those? The little button in collaboration with a consumer packaged goods company. So when you run out of dishwasher tablets, you can click the button and it auto-orders that product from Amazon. Not available anymore. Amazon have been exploring physical stores, whether that be through their four-star store, their bookstores, or of course, their grocery stores, most commonly the Go and Fresh branded ones. And their physical store experiments have stuttered and stalled in some instances. And in particular, their Fresh stores, they've decided to pause and reflect and learn and refocus, and they will come out stronger. So I think that is a failure that is helping them to learn. But there have been plenty more. They launched a Fire Phone in 2014, trying to capture some of that smartphone market. But around a year later, they decided to discontinue that product and write off the investment, circa around $170 million investment, written off. Their Alexa voice division, powering and developing Alexa, has been one of the jewels in Amazon Crown over recent years. And this was one of the areas they ramped up dramatically, but have since ramped down dramatically. The 10,000 redundancies that they made earlier in the year, I understand, were largely made from the Amazon voice division. And then there are some other innovations that perhaps you never even were aware of. Certainly, I didn't know about Amazon Destinations, which they launched in 2015, which was designed to be 
a hotel room and to the holiday booking system. But they struggled to break into that travel market and it closed down after around six months. Or Amazon Auctions, which they launched in 1999 as a direct competitor for eBay. Of course, that hasn't worked out. But interestingly, that Amazon Auctions concept, coupled with another concept they were trying at the time called Z Shops, ultimately became Amazon Marketplace as well. And there are loads more that we could talk about. We could talk about WebPay. We could talk about Amazon Local. We could talk about the Dash Wand, Amazon Restaurants, My Habit. Absolutely loads of different failures and plenty more, I'm sure, as well. And those are the ones that have actually made it to market as well. How many ideas and creations have been in development and have decided, no, this is not customer focused. It's not commercially viable, whatever reason. We're not going for this one or even just actually, do you know what? We're choosing to prioritize this other initiative rather than this one. So this is going to get shelved. So why am I laboring all of these points? Why am I talking about all of these failures rather than what Amazon are doing to be successful? Well, firstly, it's to show the extent of Amazon's experimentation. They are putting out lots of little opportunities to see which ones flourish. It's a term called greenhousing, and it's brilliant at looking at a broad scope of innovation to assess where there is genuine potential. And really here, Amazon are, in a way, playing a game of chance. They have lots of different viable sounding opportunities. And so they're having lots of goes at seeing which ones work. And therefore, it's a game of statistics. There is a greater likelihood of finding a successful business model and a successful business if you try a lot. But with that, you also have to fail a lot as well. And some of these failures have been high profile, but some have not been. Some have been sort of under the radar. They've never got off the ground enough to be highly visible and they haven't captured the attention of consumers or the media to make a big song and dance out of it, so to speak. So as we're thinking about ways of working and processes for Amazon's expansion, what's the takeaway here? Well, for me, it's about how Amazon sets itself up intentionally to work quickly and collaboratively and how it values real life trials rather than just speculative chat. I'm sure we've all been in a little too many meetings where we've been talking about an idea where nothing actually happens. We've got to change this if we want to drive our business forwards. Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, often talks about failing and with the concept that if you're not failing, then you're not innovating. But all of these different failed projects and initiatives that we've just spoken about are learning experiences. They show what works and what doesn't, both from a technical point of view, but also from a ways of working point of view as well. And failure, therefore, is embedded into Amazon's culture, or more specifically, an acceptance of failure and a recognition of the value of learning from failure. And so the next aspect I wanted to talk about was around culture and values. Amazon have done a supremely thorough job at their leadership values, which have remained brutally consistent over time. If you're not familiar with Amazon's values, leadership values, that is, then do head over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 257 and you'll find out all about them there. But ultimately, there has been a relentless desire within Amazon 
to grow the business and to transform the industry from a customer's point of view. Out of those leadership principles or values that I just spoke about, customer obsession is there. Think big is there. And when you have these sort of principles and values, they guide and foster a real culture of innovation and encourage long-term thinking and short-term action. Talent management is a big, important point of encouraging this culture to grow, but also having top-notch people on board. Amazon absolutely seeks out top talent and has the brand name to do so, right? But it's not just looking for those talents within the sector they know already. They're looking for broader talents, hiring people from aerospace backgrounds, for example, or AI experts. Lots of different experts that come in and can play a role in Amazon to help them become an industry expert as well. And this creates an incredibly diverse talent pool. And that diversity naturally encourages fresh perspectives, different ways of thinking, different ways of approaching a particular challenge. And of course, when you're looking at expanding business models, moving into new industries, you need a different point of view because what has worked, let's say in the retail setting, will not necessarily work in the healthcare setting. Amazon are famous for their lengthy recruitment processes and the sheer volume of interviews needed to make a hire. And this is important for talent management. It's about making sure you're absolutely certain about a particular individual. Amazon's approach to recruitment is absolutely not. Let's hire them, see what they're like, and then we can always let them go in their notice period, right? They focus on diligently making sure that recruitment process Get someone that fits the culture. Get someone that has the right skills and the capabilities and the characteristics of what will work at Amazon and what they're looking for, right? I was particularly interested by the concept of bar raisers, which help them to keep the recruitment standards high. Now, this is a special role that anyone can apply for, but it is not a job in and by itself. A bar raiser is there to ensure that Amazon hires the best people that Amazon is raising the bar, both in who they are, but who they bring into the team as well. On this same concept, again, Amazon are always investing into training and continuous learning, both around classical topics like operational excellence, but also new and emerging topics like machine learning and AI. They're trying to ensure that their team members are equipped with the latest knowledge and can drive the cutting edge change that Amazon wants to drive. They've tried to decentralize decision-making through elements like the two-pizza team concept, but also they are looking to delegate decision-making further down the org chart to encourage faster response and more innovation. Also, from an organizational structure point of view, they've created their own R&D arm called Lab126. And that's been responsible for innovations like the Kindle and the Echo and some of their other consumer electronics devices. But R&D is an important part of Amazon's overall structure, and it's an area they continually invest in, in a big way. It represents a much greater share of their P&L compared to other retailers. And that's one of the reasons that allows Amazon to be more innovative in everything that they do. They're investing more in it. And you'd hope that they would, therefore, be more innovative as a result. So the takeaway here is that Amazon aims to create the best team, the world-leading team. 
it aims to hire the best and correspondingly demands the best from them. And with these high performance teams, they're giving the responsibility and the authority to make decisions and the resources to invest and ultimately to excel. Our next element to dive into is around acquisitions. And Amazon have been particularly active on the acquisition market for a number of years. And some of these acquisitions have seemed a little odd at first because they don't fit with the classic Amazon model. It is not like some retailers' acquisition strategies, which is around buying up competitors or adjacent companies. Some of them have been quite obscure and have made sense in turn. But these acquisitions are intentional to gain a number of benefits directly from a point of view of market share and revenue or even intellectual property, as well as indirectly buying access to industry relationships or particular skills and capabilities. And what has impressed me continually with Amazon's acquisition strategy is just how skilled they are at integrating these different businesses without damaging their core culture, especially when you think about how thorough Amazon's talent recruitment processes are, certainly relative to other companies. So let's just think about how some of Amazon's acquisitions have developed their business over time. From their core retail business, we touched on Audible earlier, a 2008 purchase for around $300 million. And that's basically allowed Amazon to dominate the audiobook market. And it really complements its Kindle, which dominates the ebook market. And of course, the classic market as well. So Audible allowed them to go multimedia, so to speak. Zappos was famed for its world-leading customer service, and Amazon decided to buy it for a cool $1.2 billion in 2009, which grew both their market share of the footwear market, but also allowed them to access that customer service mentality that we already know is so important towards Amazon's principles and values. And Kiva Systems was a really clever buy in 2012. Kiva Systems, if you're not familiar with it, was a world-leading AMR company that Amazon bought for around three quarters of a billion dollars. And that has ultimately developed into Amazon Robotics. And that now powers, I think, all of their fulfillment centers, allowing warehouse operators to be more efficient with their time. Pickers stand still rather than walking up and down aisles. And that has allowed Amazon and its core market to really lead the way. It's powered up all of their FBA services because they can operate effectively, efficiently, both in terms of space, in terms of productivity, in terms of cost. So some really important acquisitions there that have powered up their core business. We touched on media just a minute ago, but multimedia video has been a big shift for Amazon over time. Of course, DVDs and videos were one of the first categories for Amazon to expand into after books. And in 1998, they bought IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, which has been a leading resource in terms of consumers researching movies, TV shows and other entertainment forms. That's given them a ton of insight, a ton of data about that market, as well as all of the relationships around it as well. In 2011, they bought Love Film, a DVD by post service that ultimately developed to become Prime Video and allowed them to move into both rental services, but also streaming services as well. And talking of streaming, 
In 2014, they acquired Twitch for just under a billion dollars, which is a game streaming platform now developed into a more of a social media streaming platform, much broader than their traditional gaming market. But it's all created this vibe of multimedia video. And it's undoubtedly powered up some of the investments they're making right now around live streaming, for example. Grocery is one of Amazon's big target markets, right? I'm sure that's no surprise to anyone. And that has really been spearheaded by their 2017 acquisition of Whole Foods markets. It's one of their largest acquisitions at nearly $14 billion. And of course, came with Whole Foods' brick and mortar estate, as well as a share of the grocery market. They've integrated Prime into that proposition, so customers get more discounts and delivery options. And then they've continued to try and expand into this grocery market by heavily investing in Deliveroo a couple of years ago. Amazon owns 16% of Deliveroo, and it's there to power up their, and I quote, long-term growth and innovation. However, as we all know, Amazon has not quite cracked the grocery market just yet. Their Go and Fresh stores have made inroads, but they have not really made anything meaningful just yet. But Amazon have recently turned around to their recruitment side and they've hired a hugely talented team. In particular, a lot of ex-Tesco colleagues of mine, and they continue to be rumoured about buying another big grocery retailer. But nothing's been confirmed yet, and so time will only tell. What we can expect is that Amazon will continue to target the grocery sector, and if acquisitions can support with their direct or indirect benefits, then that's an opportunity Amazon will grasp with both hands. Another sector that Amazon have been keen to grow is that of the smart home. Of course, their Alexa devices has been an important centerpiece of that. But in 2008, Amazon acquired Ring, the smart doorbell company. And that's been developed into overall household devices, alarm systems, and other smart innovations. And more recently, they've acquired iRobot, which is the company behind the Roomba vacuum cleaners. So again, It's another digital device that becomes central to the home's operation, a consumer's life, right? Powered by Amazon and increasingly integrating into Amazon's ecosystem as well. As I mentioned earlier, Amazon also acquired MGM, which gave them huge production value to continue their expansion into their Amazon branded studio productions, TV shows, movies, live streams, lots of different elements. And then the final sector I wanted to explore was Amazon moving into the healthcare sector. In 2018, they acquired PillPack for again around three quarters of a billion dollars, which is an online pharmacy. And this provided the platform for making pharmaceutical deliveries, as well as the capabilities and the understanding of all the different pharmaceutical regulations. Obviously, it's much more restrictive than let's just say books, (laughs) in terms of what you can do, how much you can sell, who you can sell it to, etc. So PillPack really spearheaded their growth into this healthcare market. And then more recently, One Medical, which they acquired for nearly $4 billion, which is a primary healthcare provider offering in-person appointments as well as digital or virtual interactions with medical professionals. And we've not quite seen Amazon Care take off just yet, 
But with these different elements being added in, it's a matter of time until Amazon really start to put the accelerator down on growing into healthcare. And there have been plenty of other acquisitions which we could, of course, dive into, strengthening their cloud computing arm, AWS, or looking at international growth, or any other part of the business, right? And the key takeaway here is that Amazon is active in the acquisition market. They're keen to buy not just market share, but more importantly, intellectual property, relationships, capabilities, and skill sets. And then the final sector I wanted to just reflect on very quickly is around expectations. Amazon, and more specifically Jeff Bezos, have been infamous for setting very long-term aspirations in terms of profitability. And this gave plenty of space to breathe and to innovate and to grow. It did not have, as other companies are weighed down by, the need to be delivering year-over-year value, quarterly reports, and short-term growth opportunities. So these long-term aspirations were set very, very, very early on. And couple that with their increasingly diverse revenue streams means that there are different sectors that are highly profitable, which can fund investment in other sectors as well. It creates a financial backbone to essentially become a little bit more pro-risk, enter into new markets, and make a big splash. And I think here, the the takeaway is that it is sensible to plan a long-term game, both internally and externally, if possible. Although I admit, if you're already in the listed company sector, that's probably probably a bit more difficult to to realise that. But there are long-term plans. And they have allowed time and set expectations accordingly. They have allowed time to experiment and fail and learn and improve and try again. So those are the four sectors I wanted to dive into today around how Amazon have powered up their growth, how they have unleashed themselves upon so many different industries and across so many different business models as well. They've expanded vastly, undoubtedly in every single direction, basically. But they have seen varying success. Wins such as AWS and Amazon Ads, which we've barely touched on, by the way, have inspired other companies to follow suit into cloud computing and retail media networks. But some sectors, like the grocery sector most notably, have caused headaches for Amazon and arguably attracted ridicule from the broader industry, which I think is wrong because. Amazon are a smart company. As I said earlier, they're going to be learning, they're going to be improving, and they're going to be trying again in a different way. But more broadly, Amazon have, of course, delivered positive results historically, but have struggled more since the pandemic, I would argue. And we've all seen that through different headlines. You know, I mentioned the large number of redundancies that they unfortunately had to make. And that is, of course, not the plan. Let's be honest. No one wants that to happen. Amazon know that a lot of their big bets will not pay off. When they don't, they take the learning. If possible, they move people around to other parts of the organization, creating that diverse talent pool. But when they do work, they also know that it's going to more than repay the investment that they've made in that. And it's going to allow them to have speculated and experimented with other failed initiatives as well. And the long-term learnings of 
all of those different experiments will be applied elsewhere within the company and will continue to add value. And so how have Amazon expanded? Well, of course, there's no one simple, single answer, right? But I hope through today's episode, we've touched on a number of the different ways that Amazon work slightly differently to other companies that I've experienced. But I would love to hear your thoughts. Do feel free to reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And I'll put my email and also link to my LinkedIn profile on the show notes page as well, by the way, which once again, you can find at obandco.uk slash 257. Remember to sign up for the retail transformation briefing on those show notes page and also check out other episodes that I think you should listen to next. We've spoken about business models in the last couple of episodes, so do go and check those out or head on over to the show notes at obandco.uk slash 257 and check out all of my other recommended episodes. So thanks so much for tuning in today. We've covered a lot. I hope it's been insightful and informative and perhaps inspirational for you. I appreciate you listening and I'd ask that you share this episode. Tell a colleague, tell a friend, post it on social media. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feel free to tag me in if you're on LinkedIn in particular. So thanks so much and I'll look forward to joining you on another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.